Okay. So we are discussing creation. We are discussing how the infinity of God fuses with the ten divine attributes in this highest world of Asilus, which we said is not a creation. It's an emanation from God himself. And through the fusion of the infinity of God, one with the relatively finite godliness of these attributes of this highest world, creations can actually be created. Things. Things that are finite. Things that have the illusion of separation. Things that are ultimately the purpose of creation. So when we're discussing this idea, the point that we are going to explain today is the primary role of the tenth and final one of the divine attributes, Malchus, sovereignty. Sovereignty is the tenth of the ten attributes in every spiritual world. Here we're focusing on the world of Atsilos, the highest world. The world which we said is not really creation, it's an emanation. Atilus is that it emanates from God. Now that tenth divine attribute, Malchus sovereignty, is truly where creation of things, creations, which means things that view themselves as separate, that's where it really happens. In other words, sovereignty actually means that. Very timely, coming from Rosh Hashanah. That sovereignty means there are individuals who are separate from the king, but they nullify themselves to the king and accept him as their king. I say to say there's no king without a nation. Nation, the Hebrew word for people, means something very dim. It comes from the word for embers that have been dimmed, which means, am implies a populace that's very, very removed from the greatness of the king. A king cannot be king over a multitude of children. You're too close to your children to reign over them. Sovereignty is only possible if there's a distance, a very great distance between the king and the am, the lowly people. So in sovereignty, in this tenth attribute of sovereignty of Malchus, here is where we have the ability to have creation, that beings will emerge who feel so separate from God that there's a possibility of God being king, God reigning over them because they're so low, they're so distant, they're creations, they're things, they're separate. And when these distant, and separate creations choose through their spiritual service to nullify themselves to God's will, ah, now he's a king because he has a people that accept him. And the very, very high celestial beings that are so high, they're almost one with him to start with, they can't make him king, they're too close. But the am, the lowly people, the creations that are so far through them, he becomes king. So this is what we're focusing on today, that any true yesh, 
as in the term yesh me'ayin, any true existence, which is truly created, truly a something from nothing existence, has to come through malchus, the sovereignty of atzilus, that this lowest level of atzilus descends to become the highest level of the next spiritual world, the world of Bria, the world of creation. There are principally four, in very broad strokes, spiritual worlds above our own physical reality. And the highest of the four, Atzilus, as we've been explaining, is an emanation from God. The next three, if you can envision an iron curtain, then the next three, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, creation, formation, and action, they're creations. But each one of them is a creation, each one of them is a sense of separate self-existence, purely spiritual existence. The only thing physical is in our world. But existence, yesh, self. So the lowest level of this highest plane of Atsilos descends to become the highest level in the next world, the world of Bria, the world of creation. So sovereignty, Malchus of Atsilos, descends to the highest level, which is called Atik. Atik is the element of delight, the inner core of will, and this is the inner dynamics of the Kesser, of the crown, of the world of Bria, the world of creation. So sovereignty of Atsilos descends to become the delight and will that propels the world of Bria, the world of creation, into being. And what we have here in this creation is an enormous multitude, an enormous diversity of creations, all coming from the absolute oneness of God himself, but becoming this multitude through the multitude of letters that issue from sovereignty, as we've explained before, that sovereignty is also God's power of, so to speak, speech. From sovereignty, from Malchus, emerges God's talk. And all the variations and permutations of the letters and configurations of words of God's talk creates all of this diversity and multitude of creations all coming from the absolute oneness of God. We think of speech just as we have five physical organs of speech. There are five organs, so to speak, of God's supernal speech, which are the five judgments, severities, givuros, within the attribute of malchus, of sovereignty. Now, malchus, sovereignty, has a Kabbalistic name, which we're going to spend the rest of today's portion explaining why, called Alma de Iskalia. Alma de Iskalia, which is Aramaic and Kabbalistic, means the world of revelation, the manifest world. Now, why is sovereignty called the world of revelation? Because through her, through sovereignty, it's manifested the power of the infinity of God. Where creation, we're saying, actually is happening. When do I see God's power of creation? when it interfaces with sovereignty and creations emerge. Now, obviously, as we've been discussing for the past three times, there is a technique of creation called cause and effect, Kabbalistically, ilav alu. In cause and effect, I don't see as much God's power of creation. It's emerging, evolving. But in this other technique called yesh me'ayin, something from nothing, this 
is uniquely the power of God himself. Spirituality, cause and effect to a lower spirituality, cause and effect to a lower spirituality. Only God has the power of something emerging from nothing. And that power, the something emerging from the nothing, is manifest through malchus, through sovereignty. In other words, all of the nine attributes that precede sovereignty are emanated by this evolution of cause and effect. So I don't see God's creative ability. The only two divine attributes I see it clearly in, in this highest world of emanation, is the first one, Chachma, the seminal wisdom, and the final one, Malchus, sovereignty. Meaning that first one, Chachma, the seminal wisdom, is a creation, a something from a nothing because it's so remote from whatever came before it. Then evolution to the next stage, 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 cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, all the way to the tenth one, the Malchus sovereignty, where creations are going to emerge from. So in that seminal wisdom, I see God's power of creation, and even more strongly in sovereignty, I see God's ability to create which connects to a Kabbalistic statement that says their beginnings is wedged in their ends, not When we say the beginnings, I don't even mean seminal wisdom. I mean higher than that. Seminal wisdom is a little technical, but it's not really called beginning. It's called first. But before the first, there's a beginning. And the beginning is the crown, Kesser. In every spiritual world, higher than the ten attributes is the crown that hovers above them. So that crown energy is actually most manifest in the end, in the tenth and final attribute of sovereignty. That's what we mean here, that the beginning is wedged in the end, that the crown, which hovers above all in his beginning, is most manifest in the end, in the tenth and final attribute of sovereignty. Why is it wedged this way? Because the crown is, and I say sort of like an intermediary between the infinity of God and creation. And what most reveals the crown, what most reveals God's power of creation? Sovereignty. So in the end, that's where we see that crown most dominantly. Which is why that crown is actually called the crown of sovereignty. In other words, the prime function of this attribute of the crown is to draw down the infinite light of God to be contained within the level of sovereignty. And in a sense, this crown attribute is possessing the quality of sovereignty because sovereignty is the lowest level of God's infinity because within sovereignty, God's infinity is realized, is actualized through creation, the ultimate power as we said yesterday, of only exclusively God himself. Which is why, Kabbalistically, if we would look upward from below to above, the sovereignty attribute, the lowest of the ten, is called crown, as versus all the other ones higher, as versus the other nine higher than it. From seminal wisdom all the way to foundation, from Chachmati Yisod, are all not the crown. Where's the crown most manifest? In sovereignty. So it's sort of like, to explain this, sovereignty is the prime receptor 
of this downward flow from the crown, and then it reflects back. It's like a reflected light, like a beam of a beam of light that rebounds, and when you rebound, it has renewed intensity. So the light from the crown travels down through all the attributes, wedging itself in sovereignty. And in sovereignty, it's home, where it truly is meant to be. The light now rebounds back upward. And in that light, all the higher attributes are now receiving illumination. So if we think of this, this shows sovereignty's ability to manifest the power of the infinity of God, to create things from nothing. And these things, of course, as we said, perceive themselves as entities distinct from God. But that means then that sovereignty is not revealing the infinity of God. It's actually concealing it. Meaning the infinity of God, in her unique ability to create something from nothing, only God alone's ability, is expressed through sovereignty and creations emerge. So on one hand, oh wow, sovereignty is truly God's vehicle of creation. Correct. But that vehicle is actually concealing God because the whole point is these creations view themselves as things. That's the idea. Creation, separate, something from nothing. I can't even relate to my source. It's a nothing compared to my reality. No connection. So sovereignty is truly God's tool of creation. In this fashion, sovereignty is concealing God. But we explained before that Kabbalistically, sovereignty is called Amadiskalia, the world of revelation, which means within sovereignty, there is also the ability to reveal the infinite light of God, not just to conceal it. And thus far, as we understand the role of sovereignty, seems very significant in being the tool of creation, but it's a tool that conceals God's powers. How is she also revealing? She must be, because she's called the world of revelation. She must have some ability of revealing. So to answer that, we explain that one of the things, so to speak, that are created through sovereignty is not really a it's really a manifestation of God himself and that is the soul in the spiritual world of Atsila the souls are divinity they have no sense of thing they have no sense of separation from God but the souls have to travel and descend through the other three lower worlds until they can come into our bodies and through that passage they begin to view themselves as distinct and substantive creation. So at the same time, they remain godly entities, and by being godly entities, they draw godliness down through the world. So a soul, on one hand, becomes a thing, but never loses her identity as godliness, and as a revelation of godliness. So the soul is revealing godliness as the soul also has an identity and thus is a thing at the same time. Now this concept of the souls emerging from sovereignty is considered birth. A birth that requires enormous power of God himself. It's actually considered akin to the splitting of the sea. So Kabbalah teaches that just 
As the splitting of the sea requires God's enormous energy, what I mentioned before, the concept of atik, of that highest level, the pleasure aspect. Atik means etymologically like we move separate from creation. So that energy, just as that energy was needed to split the sea, that energy is needed for the soul to be born. We're not really only talking about the birth of the souls, we're talking about their gestation as well. The emergence of the souls, the growth of the souls. It's explained that a soul grows for seven months. The union which begins the conception of the soul is on Shemini Atzeres. And seven months later, on the seventh day of the holiday of Passover, that soul is born. And this period of growth of the soul, the conception, the growth, and the birth, the emergence of the soul, is really parallel to the energies of the divine attributes themselves. In other words, the energies of the divine attributes really are found in the mother of the divine attributes, which is Bina, understanding, receiving and absorbing energy from the father, Chachma, the seminal wisdom. And from that, there's a growth of the six emotive attributes and of the final one, sovereignty, which are coming from, if you will, the growth in the womb of Bina of God's faculty of understanding. So just as the emotion and sovereignty are delivered from Bina, from understanding of the world of Atsilos, Bina is considered the supernal mother, the mother of the divine attributes, the souls also have a parallel mirroring growth in sovereignty herself. Sovereignty is known as the small mother. As sovereignty has this mother aspect because she incorporates all of the lights of the infinity of God in her. So we have the divine attributes themselves going through this conception, gestation, and birth. And we have the souls going through the conception, gestation, and birth. And again, the supernal lights are not only responsible for the birth, they're not only responsible for the gestation, they're actually responsible for the conception of the soul as well. In other words, the very, very, very essence energy, which is coming from the infinity of God, and then goes through the level we called attic, the inner dimension, the delight in the crown and then descends further into Arich, into the will in the crown, and then descends further into Chachma, the seminal wisdom, the father element, and then is placed further into Bina, understanding, the mother image. And then from there is expressed in the emotions, and there finally, finally, is within sovereignty. And from that drop that went through this entire progression of impregation 
through that whole process, the souls are going to emerge. So that ultimate soul that emerges from the energy of sovereignty is really coming from an energy that was, so to speak, impregnated in all of these levels and levels and levels and levels and levels until the energy is absorbed by sovereignty. And from there, that ultimate birth can happen, which is the birth of the soul itself. So what does this mean? It means that not only is the infinity of God drawn through sovereignty to have things created, which we said is in a sense concealing God, but the infinity is revealed through sovereignty. Because in sovereignty, the souls are born. The souls are conceived. The souls are grown. And the souls are born. And through the soul, God is revealed in creation. And for this reason, sovereignty is called the world of revelation. Because through the soul, God is truly revealed in creation. 